2: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
3: The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? This is Peter Schrager, and you're listening to The Season with Peter Schrager. We are in the middle of July right now, which is the NFL's quote-unquote slow season. But if you follow the league and you love the game like I do, you know there is no days off when it comes to an NFL season. This podcast has been a blast this summer because we're getting coaches and GMs in their homes, and we're getting them at their vacation houses, and we're getting them maybe a little bit off the clock, which means they can be a little looser than they might usually be. I say this um, with great confidence. I don't think I've enjoyed a podcast more than the conversation you're about to listen to since we begun doing this thing back last September. This is Brad Holmes, the general manager of the Detroit Lions. With no further ado, really excited about this guest. Been trying to get him on for a couple of weeks. We got him and I'm excited and it's right before the start of training camp. so. I'm sure he's fresh as a daisy. This is the uh, Detroit Lions general manager, Mr. Brad Holmes. Brad, what's up, man?
4: How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Glad we're able to finally get this together, man. I hope you didn't think I was stuck. No. You know what? It's,
3: it's funny because this is like the off season, but it's also the only time that people can get away. So it's, yes, I'd love it to do is. your podcast, but I also have a family I'd like to see.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, and you know, really like, during the season, cause I know we started talking about during the season and the season is probably the most like normalized regimented part of the whole year. Cause you kind of know what's going to happen. But, um, when the season ends, that's when it gets like crazy, yeah. crazy. And then, uh, we actually, we, we do quite a bit after the draft, um, preparing for the upcoming year. So, but you know, fresh off vacation, uh, you know, got a good little week at home and, uh, Great time, man.
3: I think that's a good segue. So take us through. And you are a general manager. What is the schedule? Because I think most people think, all right, draft, and then kick your feet up, and then free agency. You know, but it's really year round.
4: Yeah, it it really is, man. You know, you have training camp, and you go through that, and you you know a lot of roster reduction stuff. But after training camp, um, you know, I say the season. Everybody thinks like the season's like that's the biggest part because it's the football season, but from a GM standpoint it's actually probably the most regimented part because you pretty much know okay you got game day game day is going to bring all your stress and emotions and but after game day Mondays you're dealing with you know injuries mm-hmm. and medical stuff and then Tuesdays you're dealing with you know roster management and getting all your moves done and then the week starts and um and actually we actually kind of devote a lot of that time for draft prep actually um so because you kind of have the time yeah and then you kind of just operate normally. But then after the season ends, and that's when you're like full throttle, like, you know, you're head straight into the, you're balancing free agency and draft at the same mm. time. And then you're going all the way up to free agency. So that's probably the most hectic time is pre-free agency because you're kind of doing both. And then once uh, free agency kind of, like that second or third wave kind of hits, you can start dialing, more so towards straight draft. And then, you know, it's kind of just full throttle through the draft.
3: Because we're heading into the 2023 season and we're still just a couple months removed. I want to go back to that first round for you guys and the Detroit Lions. We're going to get into your story in a second, but I feel like just the excitement about the Lions is real. And you've read all the headlines, I'm sure, or you've blocked as many headlines as you can out about how this is like the hot team in the NFC. But the draft, you know, right in the days leading up to the draft I had a couple birdies in my ear being like I think Jameer Gibbs might go earlier than the mock drafts are saying and another one saying he might go before Bijan Robinson sure enough you guys you get him early top 15 and everyone around like oh what a shock but like people that I was talking to say that's not such a shock it's about where he was slated when did you fall in love with Jameer Gibbs and what did you love about him
4: Man, it's funny that she said you heard that about him going that early because I was sitting there thinking uh, I was like nobody's going to do this except us, and then and then after we picked him, then I heard all these other gentlemen. Oh names yeah, yeah, no,
3: that's who we wanted.
4: wanted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm glad you picked them there because he wasn't going to make it. But um, no. Uh, I I first fell in love with them. Obviously, I didn't know about him that much when like, he was at Georgia Tech the year before. Yeah. So. I went to that Texas-Alabama game earlier in the year, and uh, I kind of got tipped off about him like right before the start of the game. And I was like, okay. And I saw his body type, and, like, and this guy looked intriguing. Then I kind of saw what he was doing in both phases. Um, yeah, I mean, he can run it, but what he was doing as a receiver and the explosiveness and everything about him, and we just kept doing work on him. And like I said, kind of do some draft prep during the season and kept doing work on him. and. That was just kind of it for me. I was like this guy's uh and he's he's a weapon he he's a weapon, and um you know we talk about all the running backs going in the first round and all that kind of stuff um you know, I always say like if he's a weapon, then forget the r b
3: positionless Position, players that's in, right? like, like that's how it looks
4: that's, that's what he is like that's like he, we thought he was a multi-phase elite explosive positionless weapon and um you know he was a special player um you know you have some you have the combine to confirm some things you know but he ran what i thought he was going to run and you know all the testing and his workouts and um we're just really excited about him. I think we're gonna um he's gonna bring another dimension to our offense that's as good as we were offensively last year, you know. I, I think it's gonna be even better this year. But bottom line, this is you just gotta get the guys that you want. And um I, I kinda look at especially this past draft, you know, everybody was saying like this is a different draft, yeah. this is a different draft. Well, let's call it what it is, it just wasn't as strong of a draft as it normally has been. And by that you mean so like,
3: blue chip guys, top 20,
5: yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah, like you know, in a normal year you have like true first round talent players.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: You might have about 17 or 18 guys. Um, I really haven't seen any higher than 20 in, in all the years that I've been doing it. Um, this is, we, we ended up with 14 guys and that was at the very end it was less than that at one point yeah. like at one point we had like nine or ten but jameer was always one of those guys so i just looked at it as like dan look let's just get the who the hell we want <laughs> and let's get the hell out of there right and let's see you know like 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 one of my favorite movies is training day yeah. um it was like me and my dad my me and my dad's favorite movie and uh there was a scene in Training Day where, have you seen the movie? Yes,
3: Ethan Hawken, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah.
4: So, like, it was one of those scenes where, you know, he goes into this, you know, the rough area and um, he goes to his lady's house and takes his money. And then he goes out and him and Ethan Hawker are trying to get out of the neighborhood. And the girl comes out there and rats him out and says, Hey, this guy just took our money. And Denzel just in his shootout. And he's just shooting out, trying to get out of the neighborhood. And he's basically shooting his way out of there. And I was like, that draft is kind of Dude, bad. Get me just out of like, here. I want my players. We got it. Get, get who we want and just shoot our way out of here and get on out of there. And uh, we were just ecstatic about how the whole thing went down. Would you
3: say that you and Dan Campbell are Jake Hoyt and Alonzo Harris in that film? Would you put... <laughs> <is> that... <laughs> I
4: don't... <laughs> You know, I, I, I don't I don't wanna have that image yeah. quite yet. But I will say we um we uh work as a pair very, very well. We partner very, very well. Um, you know, um again, I know a lot of people know now that we didn't really know each other yeah. that much before we got hired, but um I always give so much credit to to Sheila and Ron Wood and Chris Spielman and Mike Disney, everybody that was involved in that uh interview process of that. I guess that they just knew that, you know, we would pair so, so well. And it, it, he, he's a joy to work with. Yeah. He's, he's a hell of a coach.
3: He's cool. And he's got a great personality. And those players really rallied around him, um, especially in the second half of the season. It, you look at that running yeah. backs room, obviously it's it's Gibbs and now it's Montgomery. Last year you had something fun with Williams and Swift. Uh, you know, yeah. everyone might say the value of the position is devalued and whatever you want to say about it. That's a pretty big change for the running backs room. Considering you guys were so red hot at the end of the season, you feel good about where you guys are at with that position group?
4: Yeah, I mean, overall, when you look at it just systematically, I do think that we'll be better all offensively. And that's no knock on the contributions that that those other two guys gave us, because Swift is a dynamic player, and Jamal, you know, he was a a great leader for us and he did He did so much for us. He had a great season. He's awesome. Um, they get 18 touchdowns? But, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but what we do think that Montgomery, um, you know, I think Mc- Montgomery and Jamal are different backs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Montgomery does a little bit more in the passing game uh, and, you know, adding, uh, being able to add Gibbs, you know, uh, I, I, I think he just, he's so dynamic as a receiver and, look, he's a home run hitter as a running back. I mean, that's the easy part, but, what he does as a receiver, I mean, he he runs routes, like, I mean, like a receiver. Is that
3: right? Because, I, you know, I, I you get all this Alabama talent, and then here's another one, and it's like, no, this one's special and, and has his own skill set that maybe, because he's only there one year, didn't get the same hype as the other guys.
4: Yeah, he was just different. He was just different, and, um, you know, going through that process, I was like, man, how many guys have I seen that was, like, equally as effective you know like when i first got with the rams in 2003 marshall Faulk was still there yeah. and i was a huge marshall Faulk guy just coming in and so just kind of seeing what he did in both phases and then um just from a scouting standpoint when christian mccaffrey came out he was like the last guy i was like holy cow yeah. like this guy can run routes like a slot receiver but also run it and so you start getting reminders of you know some of those players. I'm not sitting here saying no, that Junior gets those players, but you know, just a special weapon like that. Just you know, we have a lot of uh, excitement, and optimism.
3: Yeah, and I think the offensive coordinator story is pretty cool too. Um, had opportunities to interview for other head coaching jobs and kind of withdrew his name and said, "I'm good here in Detroit with this group." Uh, take us through that decision from Ben Johnson and what that meant in the organization as a whole.
4: Man, that was huge. And you know, look at the end of the day look, it's, it's hard to keep the good ones, yeah. you know. I mean, uh, eventually the cat gets out the bag and, you know, there's there's just no hiding. Uh, but, you know, um, Ben, you know, you saw it right out the gate, you know, even when he was a tight ends coach. And, you know, obviously Dan, you know, had, had prior experience with him. Uh, but, you know, when things got rough in that 21 season um, and we had to make that change from Anthony Lynn and, you know, Ben basically became the passing game coordinator, basically, but Dan was calling plays. And Dan's never called plays before. And um, and Dan was just doing a great job and just having fun with it. But Ben just added this other element it was just like, Wow, this dude's crazy! Hooking ladders on Week 18 in Green (laughs) 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 Bay—awesome! But you know that—that's another component of when I when you asked me the question about the running backs uh, about, and I said I think we'll be better offensively this year as good as we were last year. Is just that you know, Ben going into his second year as the Mm -hmm. O.C. Like I think last year he showed everybody like I can do this, like I'm I'm legit, but. Going, you know, having the experience under his belt going into year two, uh, having Jared with him going into year two, and then all the other components that we added and created in the draft. Um That's why I, I feel better about what would be better
3: offensively. Real quick, a couple more things, Lions related, then we're going to get more into your story. Uh, the Jack Campbell pick, that was one where if Gibbs was like, okay, I, Campbell, <laughs> that left people slack-jawed and just being like, wait, what? Um, not, a, yeah. not a first-round mock draft guy whatsoever, and yet... I saw Jack Campbell. I turned to my co-host on NFL Network. I'm like, well, that's Chris Spielman just walking through the door again. That's what I think, who who of course works in your organization and has a great role. But uh, a linebacker, another position, not considered necessarily the same as pass rusher, offensive tackle, or quarterback in this league. And yet you guys, you liked him, you took him, and away we go.
4: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think with these, I think sometimes it's almost like the draft's not that easy. Mm-hmm. Like the draft is not, Oh, you take these positions and, and these players that play these positions, put them up top because they got stats and they've been on the internet and put them on top. And then these players that play these positions, put them at the bottom and that's it. And just work on it for a couple months. And what,
3: Daniel Jeremiah says this, this. Mel Kuyper says it's this, not, take them there. Like, yeah.
4: like Come on, like, give it a little bit more credit. The draft's not that easy. And and he's one, look, me talking about building a defense, and oh, me and Aaron Glenn have very similar philosophies in terms of, like, what does it take to really elevate your defense? And you, you, you better have guys up front, you better have guys that can cover. So, you know, often the, the inside linebacker or the off ball linebacker, like, we took Malcolm Rodriguez the year before in yeah. the sixth round, and he had a great he year. You know, he's going to be, he's going to be someone that's going to be contributing for us going forward. But it was just that you got to look at the player, like not, not the position. We don't draft positions, we draft players. And so when you looked at the player, Jack Campbell, and we saw it as like, no, we're not drafting this linebacker. We actually went into, after we signed, after we signed Alex Anzalone, and we feel really good about, you know, the the uh, direction that Derek Barnes and Malcolm Rodriguez was heading, it's not like inside linebacker was some, like, oh, you better be a great inside need, linebacker. Like we need it. like, Yeah. Like, it's not. It's like, no, but Jack Campbell was just a hell of a football Play. player. And I just think that, like, we're, we're looking at it as he's going to be an anchor in our defense, not we're drafting an inside linebacker. Like, no, we're just taking an anchor that's going to be our defense. And we talk about guys, we look at free agency, you look at inside linebackers. You know, you might have this whole list, but then when you're looking at guys that can actually wear that green dot and really run the show, that list shrinks down like this. Like it goes from this and it goes to this. And so then when you have a guy like Jack Campbell, that's 6'5", 250, that's extremely instinctive, Uh, he's, he's heavy in the run game. He's extremely smart, and I just love how the kid is wired. I mean, he's wired to fit what we're all about. You know, we're all about grit, doing it the right way, like truly earning it, and this guy just loves football. He's he, 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 he's all business, and so it, it's about the player. It's not about, not about oh, about has got one place inside line. It's got place running back. It, no, like – go to Jameer Gibbs. It's like, oh, gotta play. No, he's a weapon, but Jameer Gibbs is really smart. Yeah. It's not like, you know. oh, yeah, he can align all these different places. You got to be smart to align all these yeah. different places. You don't just align all these different places. No, like you got to be really smart. You got to be really heady and instinctive. And, and so I thought Jack Campbell, you know, had all the traits that we look for in a football player. And so that's how we felt really good about it. And again, going back to what I was saying about it wasn't but a certain amount of players that we had in that first round bucket. And he was one of them. And when I say it was only 14 guys, Jack Campbell wasn't fourteen. Huh. You know what I mean? So Great. like it's that, that's, that's why I just, it was, it, it was easy. I love it.
3: You guys have your board, you have your guys and Hey, if we can get this guy at 18 and he was a top 14 player of ours, maybe even higher top 10, we're taking him. Yeah. Uh, Mock Ma- yeah, Ma- drafts I mean- be damned.
4: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of what that that that's that's our stance. We're just. We we do a lot of work. We're very thorough, and I know. I think every team is going to say that, but uh, we just have a lot of conviction in in our process and and, and what we believe, and we just stick by it. And and that, that that's what we did.
3: I love it. And last year, you not only had Hutchinson step up, but you had so many rookies playing big roles, especially on that defense. That it's hard not to say, okay, let's give them the benefit of the doubt, and let's see before everyone starts giving them, you know, Bs and Cs on their draft grades based on what the mock draft said.
4: Yeah, and I mean that's I always say like it's such a psychological component of like the mock drafts and look, I, I it's no, like, I'm not. Look, you get not, it? Look, I know you. Like, I know you do mock
5: yes, drafts, but take a lot of pride in it. But like, but I'll say
4: this. I mean, Shreys, you you do football every single yeah. day. Like, that's what you do all the time. You know a lot of people. You, I mean, like. I like I I look at like so I'm not gonna say like I don't look at mock drafts yeah I, I look at them because people talk and people do the research and all that but you can't you just still have to have ultimate belief and ultimate conviction in, in in your own process but um but no there's plenty of guys that do them that I respect and I'm like man I know this guy knows people <laughs> you know he he's done a lot of work you know and I think he puts a lot of pride but when it doesn't go down the way you projected it, your your brain doesn't really like that. Yeah. And it's kind of you, like, right. mm-hmm. you wanna be right. You wanna be right. Everybody yeah. wants to be right. And so then now you're mad. And now you're like, damn it, no one said he was gonna go that high. And then now you gotta sign a grade while you're still mad. Yeah. So now it's like oh no one mm-hmm. said he's gonna go there. No. And I'm just like and I was like, at the end of the day, I'm like, we've like really Jack Campbell rank- since
3: March, <laughs>
5: you know? Because
4: like- <laughs> really, the only rankings that really matters the 31 other general yeah. managers, and uh, and and those are the rankings that nobody has, yeah. and um, that's what makes the draft so fun. And so when 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 I see people get mad about uh, it didn't go the way, I'm like, look, you should embrace the excitement yeah. of that. Like that's that's the it fun is, part of the draft. I, you don't know how it's going to fall, and you see a name that goes on, you be like. Whoa! I didn't know that. It's like embrace that. It is the ultimate. <laughs> it's the ultimate
3: reality show. It's more than the season, even because it's so rapid fire. And I say it before the draft. I beg my colleagues on Twitter, on ESPN. I don't tip the picks. It is such a fun experience as a viewer if you it's don't fun. look at it. And you guys in the war rooms and in trying to manipulate the chessboard. It's it's war games, and it's fun to watch yeah. from outside. But I'm sure it's stressful as hell in your chair.
4: It is. But it is. You're right. It's fun, and, and uh, what I was, I was telling a lot of people after the draft. You know, I was like, okay, this was the draft. This was the draft season. This was, you know, the buildup. And then when it's over, then it's over. And then I, now, now the OTA start, and guys start so getting on the field. And now that's the thing. And then now training camp is about to start. So that'll be a thing. So it's like it, it goes in phases where. It's just like I was telling you about the movie, you know, with Ethan Hawk and Denzel Washington. It's like you do the shootout and the back window shot out and you know, the cars kinda shot up a little bit and but they got out. They got out, the show goes on. You gotta so you gotta take the you know, the the Ds and Fs of the mock drafters and all that. It's okay, all right, that's fine. You know, it'll be it'll be back.
1: Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
2: Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk's Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
0: What's up? I'm John Wall.
5: And I'm CJ Toledana, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA six Man of the Year, Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: I love your story. I think it's a story of perseverance, but also uh, you've had a great career. Uh, can, Can we go back? Thank you to your high school days you were a star player in tampa florida you were i want to say homecoming king is that true i did my research yeah homecoming yeah, king that's right captain of the the football team you go to north carolina AT, and um and you're having a a, a great yeah. freshman sophomore year and then a a major life moment occurred i'm gonna say something and then you take us back and explain what happened but i'm just going to say the music city miracle game and then take us backwards and lead up to what that game means in your life
4: oh man um so yeah um you know i'm I'm at home uh visiting you know uh my 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 parents down in tampa and um you know have a you know near fatal car accident um just get get sidewined and you know I'm i'm in ICU for a week and um it was it was I mean I'm just I'm I'm very blessed and, and, and lucky to pull through that. But um yeah, I was I was in ICU in St. Joseph Hospital in Tampa, Florida, watching the Music City miracle. And um I never forget I was and then when I got released from the hospital I'm watching the 99 Rams, you know, uh, go to their Super Bowl <laughs> when they played the Bucs, you know, in that NFC championship game. And, uh, it, it was, I mean, I was watching that just, just couch ridden when I got released. But, um, those, th- those moments kind of, um, really re- resonate with me because you don't, you don't take anything for, for, for granted. And, um, you know, what, what that taught me is that, you know, look, if you have something that you believe, Always believe it and don't let anybody take your dreams away because I never forget that my college coach, Bill Hayes, visited me in the hospital um, and, you know, he's, he sees one of his players in a ICU bed mangled up and I'm sitting there telling him that I'm going to play again and he's like, yeah, all right, yeah, right. I mean, like, you're lucky if you'll walk and I'm like, no, I'm going to play again. And um, sure enough, it just gave me time to get as healthy as I could, um, rehab. and was able to, uh, you know, join the team. I had missed that whole spring and I joined the team during summer workouts. And, um, a big part of my rehab process was my grandfather coming down and my grandfather played golf twice a day and just driving his car. Really? Kind of just, or yeah, like just getting used to even driving again, uh, stuff like that. You know, you go through all this occupational therapy and all that, but, um, but, uh, be able to join my teammates that summer, and I felt actually stronger than I ever was. I felt even better in shape, and um, you know, and we we went on and um, you know was able to finish my career at North Carolina A&T. But that's definitely um, the, the the biggest adversity that. I've ever overcome in, in, in my life, and um, and something that I'll never forget, and it sticks with
3: me. you. You went into a coma, you had a stroke, and then what was it? How many how many weeks or months in the hospital were you? And yeah, like-
4: so I was in I was in ICU for almost two weeks. Um, you know, it was like ten days in ICU, and then I had almost close to another week when I got released and moved from ICU. But yeah, um, had a, um, had a coma stroke, was paralyzed uh, all the way on my right side. And, um, you know, I, I still, to this day, I still have, like, I still don't feel like I have the exact same amount of strength, you know, like in my right arm as is, is my left, or you know, it's just um, it's certain things that kind of just give you some reminders uh, of of that moment. But um, ha- having kids now, um, being a parent, I just can't even think of you know, uh, my, my 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 parents getting that call from one of my closest friends, Gabe Galgos, who I just saw back when I was on vacation um, that you know, he's the one that had to make that call to my parents of of, of what happened. And um it was I, I just can't even fathom did getting in that call one day just out of the blue. And um, you know, I just I just have so much respect for my family uh my closest friends uh and you know um, i just i just kind of it's just one of those moments that lives with you in, in, in really a
3: good way i was gonna say is it is it almost in a weird way and they say this about survivors of traumatic events but also survivors of illnesses it's almost liberating where you're like wait i've been through that i can do anything now
4: yeah it, it, exactly like it's yeah, it's it's not a good moment because it's life threatening, but at the same time, uh, it's one of those moments that shape me for sure. And um those are one of those things that I think kind of started my journey. Like I, I felt like I was always a hard worker. Um, I always felt like I always had that mindset of just kind of overcoming the odds. My uh father had taught me that a long time ago. Um, you know, he had he he played in the NFL for a short while and I never forget. He bought bought me a weight set, you know, when I was in like the seventh grade, and um, and he was like, it was, "No, it was in the eight, eighth grade, I think it was in eighth or ninth grade." But he bought me a weight set, and I never forget. He told me he was like, "Brad, it's it's not about what other people are seeing you doing. It's about what you're doing, and about what you're doing when other people aren't watching, yeah. and about how hard you're working." And um, so I always felt like I was a hard worker. But going through that car accident and going through that process getting back on my feet and not only having a chance to play football, but having a chance to have life again. Uh, I'm just forever grateful and fortunate. But I, I do think that that did kind of spark that fuel of getting to where I got to now because I had to take a really long road. Um, it was a very unconventional path uh, in terms of getting started and um, just, you know, being told no when I first started getting the business and just keep, keep fighting at it. And I, I, I think it, it bode well.
3: It's an amazing story. And I think what you're alluding to with your career, like I I was looking in your bio, you were an Atlanta Hawks, (laughs) public relations, you know, entry level guy doing PR for the Atlanta Hawks coming out of school for you. And then you were at the St. Louis Rams doing PR which is setting up interviews, which is working on messaging for the team, which is helping the players, you know, talk to the media and arrange that kind of, how do you make that jump from PR to being an NFL GM 20 years later?
4: Yeah. So um, my degree was in PR and, um, and credit to my, my mother's been in the education field forever. And uh, like halfway through college, I started off as a business and marketing major. I didn't even know why. I just, Thought that was a cool major to be in, and then my mom was like, Brad, you might want to change that, dude. Like, <laughs> you're more of a verbal writing person. You're not a math." <laughs> I was like, "All right." So I changed my degree to PR, and um, uh, and it, it was it was the best thing for me, and I really like my grade just started to change. But anyways, when I got done playing, you know, I knew I wanted to get in the NFL, and you know, uh, try to get into scouting and i sent my resume to all the teams like everybody else does. And my dad had a couple of connections, yeah. uh, but none of that fell through. So my mom was basically like, dude, you got to come back home. You know, you just got to come home and just figure it out. And so I moved back home and I was renting cars for enterprise rental car. Is that right? And um, yeah, I was renting cars for enterprise rental car. And, uh, you know, I'm wearing the shirt and tie, washing cars and renting cars. And, all I'm doing is I'm thinking about sports and that was a very psychological and emotional period of my life because that was the first time that I was not getting ready to play football. I wasn't like, I'm going through, it's like in in July July and August August, and and you don't have a training camp awaiting you. Yeah. I don't have a training camp awaiting for me. I'm not involved in football. So I'm in that little branch, that enterprise running card, just thinking about football all day and just thinking about sports. And so finally, um, an opportunity came about with the Atlanta Hawks for a uh, media relations trainee. And so I talked to my mom about it and I'm like, and my mom was like, "Look, well, at least she'll be back in yeah. sports. And I was like, yeah, you, you're, you're right. And so, um, I got that opportunity with the Atlanta Hawks and because like, I only could only work 40 hours a week with the Atlanta Hawks. It was a media relations trainee position, but because of my experience with enterprise Enterprise allowed me to work part time at the Atlanta airport. Oh my. So one of the one of the greatest perks that the Atlanta Hawks gave me was a free Marta card. Yeah. Because I didn't have the money to Yeah, you take the Marta back and forth. You can do both. Yeah. I lived way up in Norcross and had this little one bedroom apartment and um so I would take the, you know, MARTA so you're at Hartsfield down. Airport.
3: You're taking the Marta to yeah. Phillips Arena.
4: So, I had to start up top at the furthest oh northern my. station. I, 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 I went to school in Atlanta
3: in the early 2000s. Yeah. I know Marta. So,
4: you, and, you know about it. You and know. And that's not a. F- yeah.
3: <laughs> All respect to the Marta folks. <laughs> that ain't the New York City subway system. <laughs> no.
4: So, you literally had to take the door of the northernmost stop and go down and then drop me off downtown at the CNN yeah. at, uh, Center uh, building. in that's when I would do my, uh, meet relations training job. And then when I got off, then that's when I would go down to, uh, I'd get off and I'd take the MARTA down to the Atlanta airport. Gosh. And then I'd go to the Atlanta airport and I would just work a full day. Rent cars. So probably about, about eight, 11 o'clock at night. And then, Dang. you know, the Atlanta airport's the last stop. <laughs> so I'd have to take that that Atlanta airport MARTA all the way back up to that doorville station up north and uh and that's really dude what's the lesson what's Bible the lesson for Atlanta. what's the
3: lesson for kids right now who are I say kids college graduate I wanna get in sports I wanna be a GM you hear that story that that could be discouraging but it should also encourage
4: it should encourage you and again like I said at the beginning man look if you're convicted on what you want to do don't let anybody ever tell you no and people will tell you no and you gotta use a nose as fuel to just keep going, and you just gotta, have, you just gotta be convicted, and you just gotta know that you're not gonna have the easiest path. Yeah, I had plenty of friends from college that got these high paying jobs and and all this stuff, and it was it was it was great. But I was struggling. You know, I wasn't making. I think I was only making like eight bucks yeah. an hour as a media relations trainee, and then maybe I was making like nine dollars an hour renting cars. But I had enough to survive as you know um to pay for my apartment and pay for my bills but the great thing about that year though in 2003 was at the nba all-star game i remember jordan Uh, jordan comes comes to atlanta
3: i was yeah i was at the dunk contest that year just as a fan
4: (laughs) i actually thought it was a cool job because one of my main duties was i had to get the post-game quotes from the opposing teams so like Jordan and everybody, they would be coming in and I'm like in the locker room and I'm like, Holy cow, like this is Tracy McGrady, yep. like, holy cow, this is like I'm saying like this is Shaquille O'Neal. Like what like I-, I thought it was awesome. So, um, but the NBA All Star game comes and then my boss at the time, Arthur Trish, he was a um, he was a president of communications for basketball for the Hawks at the time. He knew I wanted to get in the NFL and um he said, Hey look, man. A lot of these PR directors from the NFL come to the All-Star game. You know, I I can introduce you to some of them. And so I met uh, Dwayne Lewis, and we just kind of did a little kind of lunch interview, and he had offered me a PR internship. Yes. And I was like, great. And so then I just uh, did the PR internship for the year. And during that year, so I was starting the 2003 season.
3: So you make the shift from... Sharif Abdurrahim and Dan Dickow and Dion Glover (laughs) and my man, Alan Henderson. And now you're at, where are you going? You go to, you move everything, go to St. Louis for an internship.
4: Yeah. So I just kind of packed the U-Haul. I just, I just packed a U-Haul and, um, drove to St. Louis and, um, and I just started there. Had you ever been and, there before? I'd never been to say I'd never been
3: Brad, this really is the lesson. in the
4: Midwest. How many of these before. people
3: that we talked to are like, Yeah, the opportunity, but I I'm from New York, I'm not moving to you know, like No, no, no you gotta uh, go.
4: I think it's easier when it's when you're single with no kids yeah. a little bit, but um but uh, you know, I'm yeah, you I know I, think I was twenty three years old, twenty two years old at the time. So um but yeah, I just packed a U Haul and just kinda drove Drove to St. Louis. Uh, it's about eight nine hour drive, I think, or something like that. You know, then I start my PR internship, and back then the Rams would have training camp in Macomb, Illinois, Western Illinois. <laughs> okay. So uh, it's like as soon as I get there, and I'm there for like maybe a week, and then I got to go to Macomb, Illinois, and start my PR internship, and uh, it was it was it was cool. Again, I was doing interviews and with Marshall Falk and stuff like that. And I was like, this is great. But during that time, you know, during that training camp, I see these guys that weren't players. They were just regular guys yeah. and they had, they were helping out in practice. And I'm like, what are those? And they're like, Oh, those are scouting assistants. Oh, cool. And I was like, scouting assistants. And I'm like, they can like help out in practice and walkthroughs and stuff. And it's like, yeah. And I'm like, wow. So I'm like, I got to get into one of those. So, um, you know, I struck up a good relationship with our running backs coach at the time,
3: Wilbert Montgomery. Okay, former, former and, pro uh, bowler, right? Great player in the day.
4: Former Eagles, yeah. I mean, and um, I think Wilbert just saw that, you know, I was uh, just a young kid fresh out of college that loved football. I and mean, We would just talk football. And uh, then as our relationship developed, uh, I would start helping him out with stuff. I would help him. I'd help him do his running back wristband <laughs> things. You know, I I'd do that kind of stuff. And one day he just asked me, he was like, man, why are you in PR? Yeah, Like, why are you And I said, Wilbert, man, I don't know anybody. I don't, I tried to get in, but I couldn't. And so he was like, Hey, look, man, I'm going to talk to Charlie. Charlie Arm was our GM at the yeah. time. And, uh, he said, I'm, "I'm gonna talk to Charlie." And at the time, all the scouting assistants kind of had this uh, let's call it like a nepotism yeah. kind of. Everyone end. knew like, someone. Yeah, like one's uncle was the president. Another yeah. one, you know, his dad played quarterback for the G. Yeah, yeah. Another one is like his his grandfather used to be the owner's part. Like all, and I'm just like, I don't have any of that and he was like, look, I never this is Wilbur talking. Wilbur's like, look, Brad, I never go to Charlie by anything. So he knows if it's real, yeah. it's real. So he talks to Charlie and he comes back. And one thing that I had to do as a PR internship is I had to print out the daily clips. And i had to print out the daily clips and pass them out to all the coaches' offices and the GM's office. And so, so here's what Bernie
3: Milklez wrote about the team this week, right? <laughs> like, is that what it is? Jim
4: Thomas, Bernie Milklez, yeah. like all, like, all of them. And so, um, and so, um, and you know, now we get them all emailed sure. and pdf and all that. I I tell these PR interns now. I'm like. Dude, we used to have to print these things so out. So you'd, you'd
3: print out, you'd cut out the newspaper article, you'd put it on a piece of white paper, you'd paste it, then you got to go to the copy machine, make 40 copies, then you got to staple it. And this is every day.
4: Staple it every single day. And so um, now on that, again, I can look at it as grunt work or, uh, but I was looking at it as an opportunity. Yeah, like I had I'll to be the best at it. hand out some clips to Lovey Smith's office, defensive coordinate. I'm like, Holy cow, it's Lovey Smith. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I was able to meet so after uh Wilbur told me about that he talked to Charlie, uh, I had to pass him out to the general manager's office. And I passed I gave the clips to Charlie, and Charlie said, Hey, uh, I talked to Wilbur and he said he you know you're interested. And so um come 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 meet me on Friday in my office. And so I'm like, Holy cow, mm. like this is it, like it's coming. Trust so rooms, yeah. I didn't know, and this is being a young kid and not knowing really how to communicate effectively and handle business, right? So I didn't tell Dwayne Lewis, our PR director, because I'm like... I'm not giving that job up. Am yeah. I supposed to... <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like, tell him I'm about to leave? You know what I mean? So, so you know, and Fridays were like a dress down day. Yeah. So Fridays you was like, a certain you know, you're t-shirt. <laughs> and on Friday... I'm sure die. you got the enterprise like, gear going.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> so people are looking at me like, I just got dressed up. And um, so I go up there, I meet Charlie Army. Um, and it was him and his assistant, Debbie Pollman in there. And I just had a bunch of writing samples from my time right. with, you know, of everything that I, and I wanted to show Charlie, like, I can write, like I can write. Yeah, I can write up a scouting report. I have a a passion for writing. I love writing. Like I'm a grammar snob to this day. Like all my staff kind of jokes on me all the time. because I'm like, man, why is there not a comma right there? (laughs) Something like that. But anyways, I want to show them that I can write, you know? And so I'm in there and I'm sitting at this table with Charlie and his assistant, Debbie. And then next thing you know, my PR director, Dwayne Lewis, walks into Charlie's office and i'm like uh. yeah and uh Dwayne's looking at me and he's what like the? what the hell did you just do yeah. like he's like why is why is my pr intern in the general yeah. manager's office and um and so uh charlie was on the phone <laughs> and and debbie tells Dwayne, "Debbie's like no he's fine he's fine he's fine and so then um charlie gets off the phone and he just tells Dwayne, he goes Hey, look, I was talking to Brad here and, you know, he's interested in getting the scouting. So uh, after he's done with your internship, he's going to be my intern starting the draft prep process. He hadn't even told me and that No, that's how you found out. And I'm just like, I'm like, whoa, okay, great. And so, um, so then, you know, I had a, you know, I had a, I, I, I gave Dwayne, sorry, man.
3: I, yeah, I, quick lesson on what yeah, an I, what I an bet, org right. chart is, Dwayne. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> This
3: guy takes precedence.
4: <laughs> so um so yeah so that's that that's how I got started and I got I I got a shot to be a um, a a, a scouting intern so when the season ended um you know basically like January through the draft and I was a scouting intern and I was just you know labeling beta tapes and you know entering reports and you know you have to make profile tapes uh we call call profile tapes and you got to write the time codes from the beta tapes and all that. And every now and then, they used to watch these tapes during the draft meetings. And so every now and then, Charlie would ask one of the scouting yeah. assistants, you know, to come in and talk about the player. And so I'll never forget the first who time. Who was the guy? They, they called me in.
3: Oh, come on. Give it to me. I, I want to hear.
4: Gosh, I can't remember who it was. I don't want to make something yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I re- I probably should remember it, but I never forget um, he called me in and it's like the room is like dimly lit and this yeah. big projector screen on and they're watching my profile tape and it's a room full of scouts and the GM and Lawrence McCutcheon, yeah. player personnel director. And I'm like, oh smokes. And he's like, what did you think? And I just told him, I said, I think he's this, I think he's that, I think he's boom, 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 boom. And he was like, all right, thanks. And I slept off the room and I'm yeah. like, I have no idea it what <laughs> anybody thought, what I said. It. But, um, but, you know, there was a scout, uh, Dick Daniels, who's uh, been, been one of my mentors uh, for a long time. And I remember he came out and he told me, he said, Brad, you did a really good job. Yeah. And he was the one that really taught me how to. Construct a scouting report and how to kind of write a player. I'm picturing it, man. You're uh, a young
3: kid coming, like, give me your thoughts on Roscoe Parish. Go, and you're like,
4: (laughs) 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 no, it was, it was, it it was intimidating, man. And uh, you just had to be ready for that. But guess what? It was just me and yourself. Those
3: PR skills, the enterprise front-facing salesman skills, all of it comes into play because guess what? You're presenting.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. It's almost like. another one of my favorite movies is the karate kid yeah, great film. And, uh you know the uh scene of when he's complaining about you're not teaching me any karate you know like i thought i was supposed to be doing karate yeah. and, and he was like no wax on wax off paint the house like he's doing this and he's like no like do you get it now like you've been learning it this whole time you are just now it's showing so um But, yeah, you're right. Like, all those skills just bode well. But as a young kid, you don't realize that at the time. So um, after I got done with that draft, um, I believe that's when we drafted uh, Steven Jackson in the first round. Um, And um, I'll never forget that. And then Charlie, he hired me on as a full-time scouting assistant. And, um, you know, I I did that for, like, three years. And uh, was just picking players up from the airport, just – A lot of just you know, going to the combine, not watching players, just grabbing lunch for the GM, you know, between workouts and stuff like like that and uh, keep doing profile tapes and, you know, um, just the normal scouting assistant duties and did that for three years. And then that's when I became a combine scout, an NFS combine scout. And that, to me, that's the best training that you can get from a scout because, you're always working on the next year's yeah. draft class. And so like so say it's the 05 draft and that March and April or February, March, April, whatever, like that 05 draft, well, you're working on the O six, oh, six draft. And so what I think is the best training is I'll never forget my first junior day, I was had to go to the University of Missouri. And um, you know, I, I, I met the pro liaison and he just gives me a list and he was like, here's a list. He walks me into the film room. I don't know anything about him. And I just had to sort out that whole roster. Like, I don't know what anybody is. I don't know how good anybody is. And I remember I just grinded like all night. Yeah. And some of that could be
3: Justin Smith, first round pick, or it could be a guy that has no chance of being drafted, but you've got to do it. Yeah.
4: You just, you you don't know. And you don't know until you watch them. And that's why I tell our scouts all the time. Like, like all these free agents and all these guys that are undrafted guys and i'm like well you don't know if they're free agents or undrafted guys unless you look at them so uh but that that moment right there kind of showed me like look and going through that whole spring it's like it kind of gave me the whole thing of don't worry about what anybody else thinks like just trust what your eyes see and 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 that's all. I mean that. That's kind of a hard thing to kind of yeah, have a real conviction, uh, especially as a young scout because you got a lot of noise that affects you, and you got groupthink and all this stuff that affects you. And just like we we're talking about earlier about the mantra stuff, you want to be right. right, and so it actually it takes a very special skill to be able to say, look, I don't care what anybody else thinks. This is what my, but being a combine scout forces you to be in that moment of like, you're riding all these players for the up for the next year's draft class, and there is no mock drafts out there. Is no, nobody's talking and about And nothing those should players.
3: change from the combine to the draft. And yet you hear this guy's rising up a board, but it's like, that's the group think where it's like, well, maybe we have to take another look that's, at this guy.
4: Exactly. Exactly. And so that's, I, I've always been big on the, um, uh, psychological part of the draft process and still am and so um but those are the one of the things of the group think um the the it's a very or just the whole conformity always look at the solomon ash conformity experiment that you look at on youtube and you know it's all those guys in the room and they're looking at these lines on this paper and it's this guy that's they say all the wrong lines and then the guy knows that he has the right answer, but says he it. keeps hearing something else and he's like, oh, shoot, I'm, it's got to be three, but everybody's saying two. So I guess I'm going to say two, but in your heart, you know that, no, it was three. It's not, it's not two. And so those are the things that, you know, that I'm always big on and try to eliminate that group thinking, try to cut out that outside noise. But I think that being a combine scout really, really uh, helped me out with, with that. And you just kind of get training in all aspects of scouting, of running a pro day and having your own conviction and all that stuff. So um, doing that, you know, um, for I did the Midwest and cross-checked the Southeast. And um, after that, I finally got an area job doing the Northeast. And, um, you know, we had a new regime come in, um, you know, Billy Devaney became our general manager and uh, he gained a Northeast area scout job. And then the rest is history. You go into
0: your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring,
4: I
0: see I said, said OG, oh, you think I can get paid and go back
4: and play in college you think I need it. Ain't it?
5: <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fast
3: forwarding to the you're rising up the, the chart with the Rams, go 2013 rolls around. Um, this kid out of Pittsburgh. He's a defensive tackle. What was your initial thoughts and feelings on Aaron Donald, the prospect?
4: So Aaron Donald, he's another great, great study uh, in terms of blocking out the outside noise. Uh, And because at the time we had, uh, I think we had Michael Brockers and uh, Kendall Langford and, you know, we had uh, already drafted uh, Chris long. So we, we had these big yeah. defensive linemen at the time, and I go into the pit and I'm like, this guy's amazing, but I'm like, the coaches are going to hate him because he's not big. Yeah. And I'm like, and then so now you're battling. Sure, like, you know, going in. How, how high of a grade do I give him? Because if I give this guy this high of a grade, but the coaches are going to be like, well, what are you talking about? This guy's only six foot and 285. So, But I'll never forget, and this is why I always say to this day, the intangibles are the separators of success, is that um, I I knew the defensive coordinator at Pitt at the time, Matt House, because he was working with Spagnola in that previous staff under Spags. And so I go into Pitt, and I see Matt, and Matt tells me, uh, hey, Brad, are you staying for practice? And I say, yeah, yeah. He said, come out about a half hour early. (laughs) And he didn't tell me why. He just told me to come out half. So I'm thinking, as a scout, I'm like, oh, he's gonna give me some more background information, some more intel. He'll be out of practice early. So he didn't tell me that. He just told me to come out practice early. So I come out to practice early. You know, they practice in that bubble that the Steelers. Yeah, yeah. They, share. they share with the Steelers. Yeah. And so uh, I go out there and I walk out to the bubble, and it's the ball boys, the equipment managers, the specialists, the kickers, the punter, the long snapper, and Aaron Donald. <laughs> Those are the only huh. people in the bubble. And Aaron Donald is sitting on this bag, fully taped up with the, this twitch in his knee as if like, man, I've been waiting me on this all day. Like, where's everybody at? Because I've been waiting on this all day. And so then I see Matt House. He comes out with all the coaches and uh, Matt goes, Brad, you come out early? I was like, yep. And he goes, Did you see it? And I said Did you yep. see it? I and love it was that. Like, like, okay. I, I was like, nothing else needed to be said. I was like, that's that's it. That's it. So yeah, Aaron Donald, I mean, a very talented player, very explosive, very strong. I mean, all that, very athletic. I mean, he had this rare combine, but it's his work ethic oh, and his tangibles this. and his passion for football that a lot of people just don't i mean they 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 know now but at the time like and that was my story that I told you know Leslie and Jeff Fisher like I'm like that said it all to me is that when Matt House told me to come out there early and um and sure enough, he's always been that way. When he
3: starts slipping in the draft, are you in the war room like, "Hey, guys, Scott," or is it understood like, "Hey, if he's there, we're taking him"? Yeah, it was pretty
4: understood. You know, we we had two picks that year, so um, you know, we had um, we, we we took Greg Robinson, yep. to a, <laughs> and then and then we. But isn't that up, the draft but, in a nutshell? But, you know, he, he... that's the that was the premium position. That was the talented, great. You know what I mean? Like that's. That's that's what it was. So
3: and guess what? Every mock draft had Robinson going first or second. There, there's
4: no doubt. It was him or Sammy Watkins that I think we yep. were we were targeting, and then finally we just kind of settled in on Greg Robinson. But um, that that was a great draft. I mean, that was. I yeah. mean, after that, it was so. Then after that, when we when we, when we got to that next pick, it's like not. Nah, you, you got Aaron Donald. You got, um, you know, Mike Evans. You got Zach Martin. It's just yeah, so many I like, that was a great Odell? Draft. yeah, Odell Beckham, I mean yeah. he, CJ Bosley, like you got all these great players. And so um but you know, the sights were set on Aaron Donald. And I never forget when we got to that pick and a team called and uh they offered a pretty enticing trade offer. Yeah. And I remember Jeff and Les were like, Absolutely not. We're picking Good. this guy and that's just it. And uh I'll never forget in that draft meeting, of uh, our assistant general manager Ray Agnew. He
1: mm-hmm. was
4: the one that really like in that draft meeting leading up to that draft because uh, a lot of people were saying because of the size, you know, he was going to be a sub rush, you know, sure. specialized package kind of package yeah. nickel sub rush guy. And I never forget, Ray Agner was like, "No, no, 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 he's every down. Like it, it, oh, is, yeah. it is no, it's no specialized nothing." And, like, he said it with the most passion. And, you know, Ray Agnew, you know, top 10 pick Legendary. defensive lineman. Yeah. And, like, he's like, when you hear Ray Agnew, and Ray is a pretty soft-spoken guy, but when he, he had said I was like, okay, this is real.
3: They play, you guys played Tampa, and it was a thunderstorm. And I remember, I don't know who the D coordinator was at the time. Uh, it was probably Greg Williams. They were lining Aaron up an outside linebacker in a 3-4. Yes. And, and I was like, I've never seen this before. And yes. it was in a rainstorm, and he was just out there sacking quarterbacks from the OLB position.
4: He, is, he has rare... I mean, if you look back at his combine, he had shuttle times. like He had DB shuttle times. But he just <laughs> he had like 30 reps at 225 and ran a 4-6. And because of the way he's built, and he still got long arms, and he's so explosive, but again, like he's talented. And I tell the story all the time about Aaron Donald, and I say it about Cooper Cup as well. And it's like, yeah, man, like this guy loves football, and he isn't works that the common denominator so with all these guys. Hard, like because that time where he was the first one in that bubble in practice, he's been that way every yeah, single change. day. He's the first one out at practice every day, and I never forget even his rookie year before he was even starting. I never forget. I had to run to the facility uh, real quick. It was it was a, a Saturday Saturday night, and um, I, I think I was heading out on the road somewhere the next day. And so, I run to the facility, grab stuff, and it was Aaron Donald, and he was in the world. So I was like, "There's no players here." It's like yeah. it's like eight nine o'clock at night. It's Aaron Donald in the whirlpool watching his iPad. Damn. Like Damn. he's not even a starter. Me- he's not even a starter, but. He's preparing like he's the starter as a rookie, and um, and it, it was it was the same way with 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 Cooper Cup when you know we drafted him, and that's when yeah. it really it hit me. I'm like, look, man, if these players don't have the intangibles and the passion and the work ethic and the football character, it's not going to work. That's just bottom right. line.
3: I love this stuff. We're gonna we're gonna do rapid fire, and then we're gonna wrap this up. We haven't even gotten into some of the lion stuff. I want to talk about Jericho. Yeah. That'll be another time. Yeah, I'm gonna go rapid fire, and you just give me some answers, and we go from there. Your greatest mentor as a football professional, not in life, but as a football person in your career, who is the person <sighs> that kind of you look to and say, "This guy showed me the ropes."
4: And I'd have to say, Dick Daniels. I'd have to say Dick okay. Daniels. Yeah. I don't know I don't
3: know that name, so tell me who he is. Yeah,
4: uh so so Dick Daniels, he was our Northeast scout at the time when I first joined the Scouting Department as a scouting intern. And he's the one that kinda took the time out to that's the that's the guy that told me good job after I went in that yep. dark room and spilled yeah. my guts about this player on this profile tape I made and um and he just kind of told me, like, hey, look, man, like, this is this is what you got to do. This is how you do it. And uh, we went to this college all-star game called the Cactus Bowl. It was like this small okay. school college all-star game down in Texas. This is back when they used to, like, run 40-yard dash and stuff at all-star games. And uh, I remember he, it was just me and him. And every morning before we went out to practice, we would sit in that lobby, and he would just tell me just all of the ins and outs of, Roster building, team building. I mean, like he was—he was that guy, and you know, he had been in the league for thirty years. You know, damn near, and he just would just give me so much knowledge and intel. So if I, I there's a lot of guys. That's why I like that. I, I kind of I like that because there's a lot of guys I can name. That's I good. can name Lawrence McCutcheon. I could, I can I, I, I can name Les Need. You know, I like like, it. Like, but. uh from from the very get-go, I'd have to say, big
3: game. Who is the player that you remember being most convicted about and using your voice the loudest and maybe if you want to say pounding the table to be selected in any any draft, any team you've been a part of?
4: Hmm.
3: Could be a late-round guy who you're like, hey, let's take a shot on this guy. It could be a first-round pick. Someone that you were like, this is my dude. And I remember asking Jason Light about this, and he was like, in Philly, Trent Cole was my guy. You know, like, you just have this random guy, they are like, that's my guy, you know?
4: For for, for me, it was John Johnson. Um, the the safety, safety out of BC. safety out of BC. Oh, um, talk
3: about him. I love this.
4: I, I, so, it was funny. That draft, um, I remember it was like, that's when we first hired Sean McVay, and, um, you know, we had a lot of new coaches and Les, you know, Les was in that whole hiring process. So Les, you know, he usually is like deep diving and everything all the time. He didn't have that kind of time. Cause we're doing this. No, whole, he's interviewing
3: Doug Marone and 11 other guys. Yeah.
4: Regime makeover. <laughs> and so I'll never forget. Um, we get into the third round and you get to those points in the draft where the board just looks kind of foggy. Like, no one's really (laughs) standing out. No one's really kind of – it's just kind of just static. It's staying. And everybody's just kind of staring at it. And, you know, um, everybody's throwing names. And I just said – I was just like, John Johnson. I said, let's just pick John Johnson. And i never forget uh, Wade Phillips. he, He looks over at me and he's like, John Johnson. I said, I'm telling you, this guy's a starter. Like he's a starter, yes. so Wade Phillips. I love Wade Phillips. He's just like, oh, if he's a starter, then just
5: take him. <laughs> <laughs> trust
3: him. Let's go.
4: <laughs> and so I just and so I just kept pounding the table for John Johnson. I said, I'm telling you, John Johnson. Like, because I remember I went out to BC UConn game, saw him live. Like, I just love what I saw out of him. Yeah. Like another guy, just high intangibles, high work. And I actually thought he was going to be more of a coverage player, and then he actually. Sure. Transformed himself into more of a box kind of player, but uh, I'll never forget. I just that that was the moment I think that I felt like you know I had just like a voice, and I think it was a needed voice because like everybody was new, like you know, yeah. you had a whole new coaching staff. You know, we did just a lot of change and you know makeover there, and um, i never forget. You know, I just had a lot of
3: full circle moment. Yeah. You're in New Orleans. NFC Championship game a few years later. Who makes the biggest play of the game?
4: Golf. Oh, well, you could say a lot of guys did. Uh, but but I, I actually think Jared Goff played one of his best games there. But, he did. Uh, I but I saying John Johnson makes John the big pick, pick at the end. John Johnson made the big pick at the end. Though. Yes. Yeah. A- a- absolutely. Uh, that golf
3: was awesome in that game. You know, everyone – and I – I've worked with Sean Payton this past year, and he, he's still sensitive about it because obviously the the non call on the Nicole Roeby Coleman thing. But I always no say doubt. to him, "You're up thirteen nothing at home. You got you got the ball first in overtime. You got to close the door." But Jared Goff that day would not quit. It was just some of those so big wild, third down man. conversions. Like what oh. people
4: don't realize about that game, it was it was the loudest thing ever. And it's like he literally he couldn't hear his headset went off. He's he's busting an ass to try to run to the receiver before the play clock game to tell him to sit like that it, it wasn't just about his stats about him throwing it was about the adversity he came through. But it's funny you say that about Sean Payton because I talked about I, I talked to Dan about that game. And this is when I oh, was Dan's and Dan on the staff for the Saints, together. sure. Yeah, and um and you know Dan, like me and Dan are just we're so much like the same person. Dan he never said anything about oh, that call was, you know, no, he was yeah. like, no, we shouldn't have put ourselves in position to actually get to the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, he like we're all about accountability. Like that's just weighing so much in, in our building. And Dan was like, no, no, man, we shouldn't have put ourselves in the position to actually give y'all an opportunity to do, that. you know what I mean? So. You know, you got to love Dan's response on that. It's just like, that's such a Dan Campbell <laughs> response.
3: Were you, were you at Jared Goff's Pro Day at, at Cal? Were you there that day?
4: No, I, I wasn't at the Pro Day. Um, they
3: speak They speak in legendary like, I mean, I, and I think Mike Silver wrote a beautiful piece on it that when it happened, but like the Rams, whatever, it's private workout or a Pro it Day. Was but it was private.
4: It was a private. Whipping it was rain. It was and, raining. And just, yeah. We actually yeah. purposely didn't really send people out to his Pro day because we kind of to kind knew of we're low. gonna do the yeah we kind of wanted to keep it close to the best uh, but no I remember um, the private workout and I, I wasn't there but I know yeah. last you know Jeff all those guys were there and uh, you it just heard does. it was just like man like because I think they did him and Carson Wentz like back to oh, back same trip um, I think yeah and I guess yeah you know it was all good for Carson Wentz in terms of the weather and the conditions yeah. but. Jared and I never. I think we kind of gave Jared a choice to move the location, and he and was like, "No, nah, let's, like, nah, nah, let's go." I like us And that. um, and he was out there just whipping it, man. And he's extremely talented, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for him. Just kind of me just, too. Well, i I mean, I've
3: been covering Jared since he got in, but like for you, it's a personal connection where you know, you draft them in, in LA, then you yourself get this job in Detroit. And the first big move you make is you trade their franchise quarterback. And it almost felt like it was a throw in like, yeah, we'll give you golf. Yeah, right. but, <laughs> but here's Jared Goff last year as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFC.
4: Well, I remember when we were uh, hammering out the details of the trade, um, i mean because, you know, it was kind of that carousel of available quarterbacks that year in terms of mm-hmm. like who was going to be available. So, Obviously, you know, uh, Stafford was getting traded to the Rams, but i never forget Les asked me, he was like, do you want Jared in this trade? And I was like, hell yeah, like, absolutely. Like, it wasn't like, just give me any quarterback. No, I was like, no, I want Jared in this trade. And the reason why I'm so proud of him and I'm so happy for him is because that first year, man, like, you know, look, it was almost like, the guy, as a starter in L.A., like four out of five years, he's in the postseason, if not Playoff. Super Bowl, and you know, so it's like he's right. He high, won a game in Seattle then, in the playoffs with like one hand. was like the one year yeah. that he did but then, yeah. So like, we make the trade, and the way that the narrative was of how the trade went, it kind of went like, oh, but Jared Goff can't play, and I'm like. Dude, this guy was just in the divisional playing with a broken hand, completing 70% of his passes. Like, why can't he play anymore? So then we start the season, and me and Dan, we tear the roster down to the studs. I mean, literally, the only thing we really had was an offensive line. And Mm -hmm. even all of those guys got hurt. I mean, besides Pene Sewell, all those guys were beat up. So we really didn't have much in the skill player department we didn't really i mean we had a beat up offensive line we didn't really have any weapons around them to throw to like we thought that we didn't have any money to play with in free agency really so we kind of had to play the comp formula and um and then we got Tyrell williams and rashad Perriman as like the veteran guys yeah it's like oh we have those guys and then Tyrell williams kind of gets hurt he's not dead we cut rashad Perriman. so now we have like this rookie, Amandre Saint Brown, a and
0: fourth round
4: pick, that that like that's it. And so, um, and then we kind of claim, but you know, everything that he went through that year. I mean, you know, you got to think, Detroit. You're talking about a football town. Like, mm. this is a fan base that is unlike anything I've ever experienced. Like, this fan base, they care about their football I mean it's legit I absolutely love them but they're mad at Jared I mean he was getting the booze and all that yeah. and I'm like all right we don't have any weapons for this guy offensive line is beat up we had to make a mid-season offensive coordinator change change chance Coleman nice. plays for the first time actually did a really good job at it but and I'm like what quarterback would be successful going through that kind of situation. Like, I don't, I don't know what quarterback would be successful. Like, tell me a quarterback. Can I tell you that something
3: that also? Can I tell you it Doesn't another? have any weapons, Jared. doesn't have an offensive line,
4: <laughs> it didn't have an OC, like.
3: Do you know where he... I got my respect for him? The toughness and all that's great. And that's quarterbacks. And yeah. Didn't say a peep. Didn't speak negatively about McVeigh once, even though there was rumors out there that like, oh yeah, McVeigh couldn't yep. win with him. Just kind of put his head down, went to work. Okay, I'm a quarterback. Let's go. And I know he's a number 1 pick and he makes a lot of money and everyone says, "Well, that's what he's supposed to." It's a lot easier said than done.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's I, I've always said about, yeah, like you said, like the toughness, yeah, it's a quarterback. Yeah. You got to have that, but the mental and I've always respected Jerry's mental toughness. Like he that's one trait of him that I think kind of goes under the radar a little bit, but he has like top level elite mental toughness because I've seen a lot of things that he's been through. Like I'm talking about that NFC championship game versus New Orleans. Like people don't talk about like the noise that he had to deal with and all that stuff. But he goes through a 21 season and he does not complain. He just goes through it. And it starts coming together late in the season. And then you know he has a year that he had last year. And now it's like, oh Jerry Goff's yeah. good. And I'm no. like Well, he's actually always been good. It's but everybody like I talk about the psychology of the process, it's the recency box. And it's like, oh well, the last thing we saw is Jared Goff got casted off, so he can't play anymore. And the last thing we saw is him in twenty twenty one, so he can't play anymore, right? Like I'm like, No, he can play. So when he had the season he had last year, I think a lot of people were like, Hmm. Oh, Jared Goff he's and I'm like no, he's 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 always been a good quarterback. He's always been over talented. You know, he's always had those traits um to excel the football team and so um again I'm just super happy for him. But like what you're saying about him not complaining, him not, you know, saying this or that, like that's what makes him that's pretty cool. He's a Detroit lion. Like he's 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 that, like he's embodied what the city's about and I think the toughness and everything that he's endured and I, I think everybody just has a lot more appreciation about him and again I think we'll be even better offensively this year coming up and um I'm just I'm just excited about him. All right, we've been
3: on for over an hour. We're gonna wrap it here. One last have we? Yeah, it's been amazing. I could do I could honestly do an audio book with you for six hours. I'm loving this. Like, <laughs> I wanna talk about Tavon Austin. I wanna talk about Stedman Bailey. I wanna go I wanna go deep. <laughs> I want to go deep, (laughs) dude. I I want to talk about what... (laughs) That was
4: another one of those drafts, though, man. Like, that 2013 draft, man. I know. I want to talk Kirby Joseph for the next hour
3: with you. Um, Let's wrap it with this. Lions fans listening, this is the first time in two decades I'd say that they actually have a little pep in their step and there's actual some national media attention saying the Lions could be the team. Um, I know you're excited with what you've built. What would be your message to Lions fans as we head towards the start of training camp?
4: you know, just continue to stick with us and just continue to know that we're not done yet and just know that we're always going to work hard, keep our pedal to the metal. We're always going to stay aggressive. Um, You know, I love the fact that it's a lot of this, what they call buzz and and hope. And I I think this fan base and our our city deserves that uh, just through all that they've been through. But at the end of the day, me and Dan know that, you know, we haven't made the playoffs yet. And so that's that that's what has to be. We gotta get in the dance. And uh, you know, we, we we have full faith and optimism that I think we have the right structure in place, uh, that that we can we can get that done. But uh, we gotta go out there and prove yeah. it. And that's that's how we're wired. We're we're all about accountability and earning it and do it the right way. And that's what the city of Detroit is. It's roll up your sleeves. Get it done. No excuses, and uh, just know that you know uh, that your 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 football team is doing the exact same thing. And um, I think it's a lot of reasons for the optimism and excitement. But uh, I I do think that um, you know all bearing healthy and all that. uh, I I do think that the fans will be really excited. And uh, first game we see, man, Thursday night kickoff. Let's go! Absolutely,
3: Brad Holmes. This was awesome. Honestly, I feel like we should do a weekly hour long show.
4: Oh, this is awesome. I didn't even know it was an hour. I was like, you spent a good conversation. Throughout the
3: clocks. Um, I love talking to you. I think you're great at what you do, but I really honestly think, uh, you've got great perspective, not only on football, but on life. And, uh, it's cool your path, man. I didn't know the enterprise rental car stuff, but it it makes a lot of sense to me Yeah, as well-rounded a guy as you'll meet in the NFL. I, I love you coming on. Thanks so much for joining
4: Thanks a lot, Shrey. You, you do it the right way, man. I got a lot of respect for what you do, man. And, um, you know, you uh, make football fun, man. Hey, I had I uh, I had Jack that. Campbell
3: in my top 10, just so you know. It's a... No, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> Brad Holmes, everybody. Thanks, Brad.
4: All right, see Later, man.
3: All right. So if you're listening to that, you're like, all right, this is the guy. That's the guy. The the Lions are in great hands. Aaron, I don't know if you had a great familiarity with with Brad Holmes, Aaron Kaufman, my producer. Um, your thoughts?
2: I mean, I love hearing his like his stories from the draft room. And, and, you know, it's such a real story. Everyone is talking about every pick and the Lions in particular had so many comments. You know, every draft pundit is is talking about they they, they took the wrong people at yeah. each spot and i love hearing him just being like no this guy was was like you said All like our, yeah well, we this had is who Jack we wanted Campbell <laughs> as a
3: top 14 guy so screw it we're taking him um enterprise rental car to working as a as an assistant to the media coordinator with the atlanta hawks in a different sport to working at the airport like I I hear that stuff and it's like, yeah, there's, there's, it takes hard work.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And his resilience and like sticking with it and just, I also loved, um, I was out in the field and I saw these guys that were over there <laughs> helping with practice. I was like, what are they? Oh, are I want to be that. What yeah. are they? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> um, Brad Holmes was awesome. If you're listening and you're a Lions fan, I think you got to feel pretty good. If you're not a Lions fan, you got to at least respect the hell out of the guy who's calling the shots in the front office. This is the season with Peter Schrager. This is what we do. We talk to men and women around the league and we try to get them in a different light than you usually see in front of a a press conference or at a podium. It's produced by the great Aaron Wong Kaufman. Uh, I want to thank Jason English. I want to thank Kurt, our editor, who's going to do a bang-up job on this. I want to thank Jack Rudd, our music maestro. I also want to thank Over on the NFL side, the great Jason Kleinman and Matt Schneider and Meredith Batten, David Jarenka, and their team at NFL Media. Uh, Having a blast, guys. Season's rapidly approaching, but these uh, off-season episodes are some of my favorite. Hope you listen to next week's. Got another good guest up ahead.